You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Lord, it's with great delight we break open your word this morning to look at what you have for us, both in Sunday school and in the message this morning. We're in a time of year when when many people who don't even think about God are actually thinking about it. And so we pray, Lord, that your word would go forth with power and with glory and that it would turn hearts to Christ. And in, in our study sessions, that it would turn our hearts even more to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit, that we might be about the business of bringing the gospel to the world and living it out so that those who see it will know that you are a God who is worthy to be served. As we look into your word this morning, give us wisdom, give us insight, and we ask you for your teaching because it is to you we look to for teaching. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's uh, read chapter 13, nice short chapter. And I like is whenever we can, that's great to keep context. First, what, what chapter 13, you ask? <laughs> There's only 66 possibilities. Actually, there's not that many because I think there's a couple that don't go that far, quite a few. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's read the entire chapter. <clears throat> if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as, not, so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, you know what? I just realized as I got into this wonderful chapter that I'm going to finish, we're actually in chapter 14. (laughs) You guys are just too polite. Nobody should raise their hand. Hey, hey you, wrong chapter. So we'll, we'll, we'll take up 1 Corinthians 13 sometime in the future. Thank you for being patient with me. Let's read chapter 14. And I'd, read, I'd like to read chap, through, um, although that was good stuff. Let's read through, um, through 12, through verse 12. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Sorry about that. It was a delay tactic. We could do chapter 13 again, huh? (laughs) Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, 
If I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So we finished off last week with the introduction to chapter 14, and we, we got through verse 2. Verse 1, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Paul sets up the, it's, I use the word tension, but I don't mean it in a negative sense, just the words, you can see the, the play he here, he here as, has, that he prefers prophecy over tongues. Because, he says in verse 2, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. So, and then I, I, we talked about different languages and how they may even sound beautiful and, and edifying. If you don't understand what someone's saying, it's, it's quite useless to you. You need an interpretation. And that's where we ended up. So let's start with verse 3. But, Paul says, back to this, this uh, comparison between prophecy and tongues. He says, one who speaks, one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Prophecy, however or forthtelling, as is implied in this section, speaks not to God alone, but to men, and is effective in building up, in coming alongside and comforting, and in an encouraging gladdening of hearts. Forthtelling, proper forthtelling, proper preaching brings hope, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteous living. And guess where it comes from? It doesn't come from the mouths of men. It comes from the word of God, the finish, infinitely, wise and satisfying and um, appropriate Word of God. It is, it is finished, it is, it is inspired, and it is sufficient for our daily living. And it is perfect in the hands of the Holy Spirit. I use the, hands, I use the word hands, of course, anthropomorphically, but it, it, to the use of the Holy Spirit in changing lives, in removing sin, in building up the church, and in forth, forth forwarding the gospel, let me put it that way. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Those are at least four of the things that scripture is excellent for. And in prophetic revelation, and when I say revelation, I don't mean uh, referring to the future. I'm talking about an expositing of the word in that kind of forthtelling. Uh, properly done, the Word of God yields teaching, reproof, correction, and training, which are all things that we need. That's verse 3. Any questions or comments about verse 3? Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. And here, kind of in one little short verse, is the, in a nutshell, 
one of the main difficulties that was going on in the church of Corinth. They all wanted things for themselves. If we will seek what is best for others, it's very, very unlikely we will fall into this kind of a trap where we are always looking to bring ourselves fame, ourselves glory, ourselves profit, possibly, and other things. So, the Corinthians have been warned numerous times throughout 1 Corinthians about the way they have been seeking their own, and he's going to continue that in chapter 14. Paul does not deny the fact that tongues have a value and an edification value, but only to the one speaking and communing with God. The loving thing to do, however, is to speak and to live in a manner that will edify the entire body. What can I do that will bring hope and help to everyone? Now, there's going to be times when you're working with individuals. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about especially in the preaching, the foretelling of the word. Paul wants that kind of thing to be edifying to the whole body, to everyone assembled. So this is what prophecy or forthtelling does. The point here is not to be found in determining whether tongues is appropriate or not, but rather that love dictates that one would do things that bless and benefit others and not just oneself. Tongues has self-edification value, but prophecy, forthtelling, blesses the entire body. What cannot be understood cannot be expected to be a help to me. If someone speaks the greatest series of phrases and paragraphs in Bulgarian, to, to me it's useless. I, I, can't, I don't understand Bulgarian. Now there may be somebody in here who does, and it would be wonderful if they could interpret when that's happening. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying if you speak in a tongue, you edify yourself. But if you prophesy, if you foretell, you edify the church, the whole body. Any questions about verse 4? Comments? Yes? Yes. If you are speaking in a language that is not interpreted, if there's no interpreter there, which could then bring blessing to the entire body, then you are only speaking to God and to yourself, and you're only edifying yourself. So the tongue is fine. He's not saying it's wrong. He's just saying that the proper use is not happening here in this particular body of, of believers. For, so verse 5, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Previously, Paul admonished the Corinthians that not everyone is an apostle, not everyone is a prophet, not everyone is a teacher, not everyone is a miracle worker. He also reminded them that not everyone had gifts of healing, nor did all speak in tongues or interpret. And he spoke this way to preface his statement that the Corinthians should desire the greater gifts. Chapter 13 intervened, and we went through that. We tried to do it again this morning. And now he is talking about that greater gift or gifts. And specifically he, here, he is talking about prophecy or forthtelling. This is another case of Paul using hyperbole. He is not asserting that what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write at the end of chapter 12 is incorrect, but rather that if they insisted all doing the same thing, then please at least let it be prophecy so that the entire body can be blessed, edified, taught, corrected, and built up. He clearly ranks the gift as gifts in this verse, and in the case of the difference between prophecy and tongues, prophecy, Paul says, is far more important. If the tongue speaker has an interpreter, then the tongue has now become useful and edifies the church. But without interpretation, 
There is no corporate edification, only individual edification, which is fine, but it's not what needs to be done in the context of building up the body. One other point, since Paul continues to stress interpretation of tongues in order for them to be useful, it seems clear that this is what the Corinthians were not doing. Apparently they were breaking into ecstatic speech regularly without interpretation and therefore disrupting the orderly process of meeting together and devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, as it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If the Holy Spirit was prompting someone to speak in a tongue, he would also prompt someone to interpret so that the whole body could be blessed. This was not happening. This was not happening in the body of Corinth. It was following the same kind of pattern that it followed in their previous pagan lives, which is exactly what would happen when they were worshiping false deities, especially the three that we mentioned earlier, um, Dionysius, and I'm forgetting the other two, but at any rate, they would break into ecstatic speech, and everybody who was in that meeting would assume you were talking to the God. You were really somebody. Wow, listen to this person. Impressive. And Paul was saying, no, not only is it not impressive, it, he said prophecy is far more appropriate, far more effective, far more desirable. You're not edifying anyone but yourself. So, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more, he says, that you would prophecy. What they were doing was disrupting the orderly service that God would have his people follow. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. You can see that, and we'll get to that. I don't want to comment on the section that that actually uh, comes next. It comes next. Any questions about verse 4 or 5 or any additions from someone in the back that may know something about it? Okay. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Even if Paul himself... He says, if I came to the body of Corinth speaking in a tongue without interpretation, he would, as the Holy Spirit was directing him to say, be of no benefit to the Corinthian church. And Paul certainly wants to be of benefit to the churches that he founded and the churches that he was continuing to, to uh, bless and edify. He softens this correction by the use of the term brethren. He loves the Corinthians, but he has to get them back on the road of serving one another not serving themselves. If the tongues was interpreted so that it gave a revelation or some knowledge, information, or forthtelling, preaching, prophecy, or teaching, then it would be useful. But without such interpretation, it would be useless. He's, he says this again and again. He's just saying the same basic thing over and over in several different verses. Paul uses the words opheleo, which being translated as useful or advantageous or useful, very useful. On interpreted tongues... An uninterpreted tongue is none of these things. It is useless to the body at large, and it is, as he said earlier, speaking into the air. We don't want to be speaking into the air. We want to be communicating God's truth to one another in a way that builds up and edifies, encourages, corrects, reproves, and strengthens, strengthens weak knees, brings health to the hearts of those that have, uh, are carrying burdens, and they're not doing that. Even if Paul came to them speaking this way, he said, I would be useless to you. I, the apostle. Comments, questions? He's going to say this in numerous ways, numerous methods throughout this entire chapter. Yet, he says, even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing the sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Um, quite a few people in this body play the piano. 
and other instruments. And they follow carefully designed processes of musical interpretation, musical presentation. If we just went up there and started pounding keys, which is what it sounds like sometimes when I've been to some concerts when I was in my teens, but, and you know, flashing chainsaws and things like that, it's unintelligible and it's quite useless. So now using a series of analogies, Paul brings this point home. Musical instruments are designed to produce a series of sounds that when properly constructed convey all kinds of things. Music can be used to convey joy, fear, anticipation, and a plethora of other emotions and feelings. This conveyance is only effective though when the music follows properly defined patterns that are distinct and understandable. To simply string a number of notes together hither thither does not produce music. When these instruments are properly played and notes are just are improperly played and notes are just flung out at random, chaos is communicated, not order. And thus the hearers do not know what is being communicated because in fact nothing of import or usefulness is being com communicated. How will it be known what is played, he said, on the flute or on the harp? Verse 8, we'll, we'll go to verse 8. Four, if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? In ancient times, and I looked up, that's kind of blurry, isn't it? I looked up a number of different bugle calls that the military uses. And uh, when you learn these calls, you'll know exactly what is being required of you. Um, I listened to some of them. I went ahead and played some of them, and I, I realized I, rec I didn't. I, re I, can, I can actually read the music, but when you hear them played, I recognize them. I thought, oh, yeah, I've heard that on different, different war movies that I've watched or something. But uh, <laughs> in ancient times as well as today, the, the bugle was used to communicate specific instructions to soldiers. If the bugler intended to sound retreat, and instead sounded the call to charge, he could very well get the entire squad, platoon, or group killed. Indistinct sounds are not only useless, they can be dangerous. Such were the indistinct communications of these tongues that the Corinthians were misusing. They were not only not edifying the church, in many cases, they were tearing it down. They were, they were damaging the believers. Whenever we do something to edify ourselves, to bring attention to ourselves, to glorify ourselves, it will result in damage to the church. When we instead do something to bring glory to God, edify the, the brethren, and propagate the gospel, that has a useful effect on the church. The Corinthians were not doing that. Any questions about, I mean, I, I thought about playing some of these, but you would just go online and listen to them, and you'll go, oh yeah, I know what that means. And when a soldier hears it, he, knows, he may know it's time to eat, he may know it's time to charge, he may know it's time to assemble, he may know it's time to go to sleep. Just from the sound of a bugle. It communicates plenty of information, tremendous information. Same thing. Paul wanted the Corinthians to be communicating information to each other that could be used for the glory of God, not just their own edification. So verse 9, so also you. He says, if I came to you speaking in tongues... Without interpretation, I'd be worthless. Even lifeless things have an order and communicate information when it's done properly. If they're done improperly, nobody knows what to do. But he says, so also you. Unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is, in, what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Paul now returns to the spoken word. God gave us language and communication for many reasons. Primarily, 
We are to use it to praise and honor him with our voices. We are also to communicate with, communicate with one another in a responsible manner. This is the primary method by which we provoke one another to love and to good works, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, which we will get to in 2040. If our communications are in a language that no one understands, how will the church be prompted to action? How will others, believers, be encouraged, blessed, and instructed? This is worthless. Paul says in his equivalence, it's, he says it's an equivalent to simply babbling into the air about nothing. Notice also that he encourages speech that is clear. The word he uses is a translation of the Greek word uesemos. Uh, and it means, it's a compound word which means good indication, clear instruction. It's a, it came to mean a definite or distinct instruction. It came to mean something that was understandable, that you knew what they were talking about. You knew what your instructions were. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is commanding the Corinthians and, and by us, and us, us by extension, to have speech that is distinct and indicates actions of one way or another that can be understood by the hearers clearly. This is essentially the very definition of prophecy or forthtelling. The Corinthians were more concerned with impressing others. Coming from the carnal background they did where acolytes were in the mystery religions were impressed with this kind of thing, they assumed that that would carry over into their Christianity. It does not. It tears the church down. It damages relationships. And it causes indistinct communication to occur. And people don't know what they're supposed to do. We need clear instructions. Yesterday, my wife had me, she just bought an expensive coffee machine that costs more than I'm worth. And uh, it was shipped to her with a bad valve. And that's part of the reason she got a really good deal on it. And they shipped the correct valve and I had to install that. I watched a couple of YouTubes on how to install it. And the guy spoke in English. And he gave instructions that were clear and he showed examples and, and there were pictures, lots of pictures. It was wonderful. And so Isaiah and I changed that valve out last night in about 20 minutes, and it works like a charm. That's what's being communicated here. Clear instructions, instructions that can be followed, instructions that can be understood and applied to the benefit of the hearers. She now doesn't have water leaking all over her counter, which is a good thing if you're trying to avoid mold and other things like that in a coffee shop. <laughs> she kept it from leaking on her counter. So they came from this carnal background where it was expected that you would have this loud, unintelligible language that simply communicated to the hearers, this guy's talking to a God. He's really somebody. Paul said it's speaking into the air. It's worthless. It's nothing. And then he says, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world and no kind, no kind is without meaning. This is an interesting, when you look at it in the Greek, it's a play on words. The Greek word translated languages is phonon, which means voices. And the Greek word translated without, without meaning is the Greek word aphonon, or without voice. He is saying here that perhaps there are, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he is saying that perhaps there are a great many kinds of voices in the world, but no kind, but no voices without voice. And so it would have been a play on words to the hearers. There's a, there are lots of voices in the world, but none of those voices are without a voice. It is a subtle stab <clears throat> at the silliness of a language without words that has no impact on its hearers. What broke up the nations at Babel? This is what broke up the nations at Babel, which is, was a good thing, but when they could not understand each other, 
and it can be it can be the catalyst for great difficulties in the church in the same way. Paul is in a backhanded way saying that there's no difference between being unintelligible and being dumb. If you can't understand what I'm, if I started speaking to you, I, I don't know any other languages. I mean, I can count in Spanish. But if I started speaking to you in an unintelligible language, basically you would see a guy wandering around up here, which I do plenty and enough anyway, babble coming out of my mouth and would be totally useless to you unless there was somebody in here who might have understood that language or someone who could interpret it for me. He's driving that point home. And then we'll finish up with this and then I'll see if there's any questions. But if then... I do not know the meaning of the language, verse 11. I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Interestingly, in this verse, Paul uses the word dunamis, which is the Greek word that is translated, in this case, for meaning. It also is the Greek word for force or power. And he is actually saying, if I do not understand the power of the language, and the one speaking to me, the one speaking to me will consider me an uncouth, uncivilized savage with no brains. While at the same time, I will consider the one speaking to me to be the same uncouth, uncivilized savage, and he's without brains. The word translated barbarian is done very well here. Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent word to be used here, especially from this, the language that it comes from. The, there are translations that use the word foreigner, but that does not convey the essence of what Paul is saying. He's saying there are translations that use the word foreigner, I guess I should say, but that doesn't convey the essence. The word is barbaros, and it, it conveys to the one hearing it in the Greek language not only the definition foreigner or barbarian, but the feeling that comes along with it because the word was used to communicate the idea that the one speaking sounds like they are saying, it sounds like they're saying bar, 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 barbaros. No, not the Beach Boys. But it sounds like they're just speaking gibberish, bar, bar, bar. That's where that word comes from, barbaros, barbaros. It was a, an onomatopoeic word. It conveyed the sense of what they were saying as well as the definition. So also, this conveyed to the hearer, if they could only understand, just if they couldn't understand them, the hearer, in, the Greek hearer, would assume that they were an uncivilized savage because everybody knows we're, we are the pinnacle of the evolutionary process on this planet. We here in Greece and anyone else, if they speak these silly, stupid, uninforming languages, they're barbarians, they're uncivilized, they're uncouth, they're worthless. And that's how that word came about. That's one of the ways that uh, they communicated that word, barbaros, one whose speech is rude, rough, and harsh, uh, used by the Greeks of any foreigner ignorant of the Greek language, whether mental or moral, with the added notion after the Persian War of rudeness, Persian War of rudeness and brutality. So it communicated all of those things to the hearer of that word in Greece. Any questions about verses, those last verses? It sounds like they're in the process of removing themselves from it completely. We can hope, we can pray. But there's, there are different, at least in my, in my um, experience with charismatics, there are different degrees of belief in this particular kind of thing. Some, doing what your friends say, they speak in tongues at home. Um, I guess I would ask them, why don't you just read the scripture and be, and be enthralled and, and in awe of God that way? 
But the point is, there are some that are willfully ignorant. There are some that are, I think a lot of them are up on that stage. They're there for the money. I won't name names because I don't know all of them. I'm, it, a lot of this, but I would, I had charismatic friends. I, I would tease them when we would get together for coffee. I'd say, now, are you still saved? Because I can't fellowship with you. Actually, if you aren't saved and you're doing stupid things, I can fellowship with you. But if you're saved and you're doing stupid things, I can't fellowship with you. Are you still saved? And they would, oh, razor, knock it off, you know. So, but that's all part and parcel. Um, I think there are some who are willfully ignorant. There are some who are doing it for the money, doing it for the power. And there are some who are un just uncertain like yours. Who they're untaught. They're not correctly taught, your friends. Yeah. Correct. They're not rightly dividing the word of truth. But I, I, I guess it would take a little bit of questioning to find out, are there other things in their lives? Generally speaking, when I have a wrong doctrine, it isn't an isolated wrong thing. It is a part of a worldview that incorporates many other wrong doctrines. And unfortunately, with the, with the charismatic belief of the speaking in tongues, a lot, of their, a lot of their philosophy, if you will, is couched in terms of feelings and emotions. And those are the same things that Paul was dealing with here. These hearers, these speakers, these Corinthians were doing things that brought them joy, brought them edification. And so are your friends doing things in the church that are bringing edification and blessing and joy to the rest of the believers. Whenever we focus inward, that focus will continue to grow. So, again, I can't comment. I don't know them. I don't know what they're... But, but the point is, this stuff, this is not static. A false view of what tongues is will lead to false beliefs, false actions that will continue into more false actions, which can result in a whole bunch of wrong doctrines. And I've, I've, if we sit down one day and just talked about all the doctrines that the, the charismatics, who the saved charismatics have that are messed up, there's a lot of them. It's not just tongues. So did you have anything you want, anybody wanted to add back there? He has some friends that, that speak, the land, speak tongues to themselves at home, and they are edified by that. Or private healing, or private prophecy, or private... All of the gifts, all of them, were given to bless the body. So if I'm doing it for myself, which is what these Corinthians were doing, that's what Paul's been, I, I hesitate to use the word attack, but he was, he was strongly censuring them for using their gifts to bless themselves. And it had manifested itself in that church in numerous ways. One of them was the prayer, the, the, the tongues. I'm the big guy. I'm speaking to God. You can't tell what I'm saying because I'm the only guy who understands what I'm saying. It also manifested itself in the same other ways of suing one another for silly things and tolerating horrific sin in the midst. Those kinds of things all kind of go hand in hand. False doctrine breeds more false doctrine, Justin. And that's significant. Not only that, but as we have studied in this book and in, or in this chapter and other chapters, there were three particular times in history when God used the sign gifts to authenticate his messengers. Once, those authenticate, once, that, once that authentication was done, then it was, those sign gifts were no longer necessary. Prophecy, we haven't had... Today, if you hear someone prophesying the future, they are not speaking for God. They're not. Because that is gone. Now, there's going to come another time when that will happen, but it's not here yet. So 
we have the finished word of God. Same thing with tongues. It was part of a sign gift. Same thing with the gifts of healing, the specific gifts of healing given to individuals. Can God heal? Yes, he can. Can God give someone the ability to speak in a language they don't know so they can bring the gospel to someone? We don't want to limit God. But his authentication of his messengers had a specific time and place and purpose. And when that authentication was done, those necessary gifts were done away with. They ceased of their own self, it says in the scripture. Thomas. Okay. The devil doesn't speak in tongues, does he? In self-edification. Yes. What would be the purpose of edifying yourself? You're not incorrect, but Paul, the rest of scripture teaches that the best way to edify ourselves is through the finished uh, sufficient word of God. Good. It had a use in a time. It had a use at a particular time. Jim. Several commentators I read take this entire center section of 14 as sarcasm. And actually, part of the end of the chapter, too, I, I'd have to look it up again. It does. The other thing that answers it is simply that Paul gives, he says, tongues, prophecy. Prophesy, please. So he gives them direct and if, if Jim's correct, and he probably is, this section may be very, sorry, Jim, he is. This, I, I didn't, I read the section, the, the commentators that said that this was all sarcasm, and I thought, well, that may very well be true, but at the very beginning of the chapter, Paul is saying, I urge you to weigh the differences and look at the differences. If I came to see you speaking in tongues that couldn't be translated, I would be useless to you. I'm coming to you to prophesy, Justin. Does everybody get that? Except for verse 27, the singular refers to gibberish. Other than that, the plural refers to known, accepted languages in the world for which there is an interpretation that the entire nation would know what you were saying if you were saying it there. As what happened, um, the Holy Spirit interpreted for uh, in the occasions that it happened in the book, some of the occasions that happened in the book of Acts, where people heard the apostles speaking in their tongue. That was the wrong way to put it. They heard the apostles. They heard the language. And unfortunately, what it, some of it is, and I don't want to use pop psychology on you, but it's mob mentality and the fear of stepping out and being the one who says, this isn't right. So people will just, they'll just, a lot of people are just towing the line not sure what's going on, and that may be some of what's happening with your friends, Lanny. They're not sure of all that's going on, but they've seen some good come, so this must be a good thing. That is not our test. Our test is scripture. Our test is history. Our test is understanding from the lips of the Holy Spirit, from the, word, the pen of the Holy Spirit, if you will. And he says that this was for a time, and it's done. It had a particular use, and that use is not necessary anymore. Now... Um, and as they pointed out, and I should have gone into this, this, the possible, the likelihood that Paul was speaking to them sarcastically because he had previously again and again and again told them, your gifts are for serving others. Now you're serving yourself. Next question. So does that help, Thomas? Yeah. Okay, very good. Thank you. I should have brought that out. I was trying to figure out how to mix that in here, and you guys did a great job of it. And that would have been a stunning thing to the, to the Jewish people in the congregation. It would have spoke to them in a manner that it would not have spoken to 
correct me if I'm wrong, but would have not have spoken to the Gentiles. They would have, they would have remembered that prophecy that an unknown tongue I will be used to, people will be blessed. Talks about in the Old Testament as well. But uh, the, point is, the point is, it wouldn't be gibberish. It would be a translatable language. So, in this section, we're reminded again. What are our gifts for? All of them. They're for building up each other. They're for confirming each other in their correct understanding of Scripture. They're for correcting each other in our incorrect understanding of Scripture. They're for refining our ability to understand Scripture. They're for drawing us closer to the author of Scripture, not for edifying ourselves, not for building up ourselves, not for making ourselves a name. And I appreciate the extra help this morning. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just pray that it might be that everything we do in the body at Kootenai Community would be about the business of serving one another, taking care of one another, meeting each other's needs, and all to the benefit of you, Father, to glorify the Father, to glorify the Trinity, and to lift up the Word of God as that which has the information and the sustenance that we need as a people to be able to be obedient and to be productive for you in this world today. And we'll thank you for what's coming, and we look forward to the message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.